Good morning. The reading from today comes from my favorite poet, Naomi Shihab Nye, who's a Palestinian-American poet, and it's called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. I'm here this morning to tell you the story of the Secret Kindness Agents, um, where it has gone, and how if you are willing and able, you can be a Secret Kindness Agent as well. I do have a disclaimer before I begin. How many of you have seen the movie Up? Okay, you know how it starts out real sad. So this story starts out real sad too. <laughs> Please just don't like turn the TV off and go away because it does get better. There's my disclaimer, you know. Um, so actually the story begins in 2012. Um, that year my daughter Iman turned six and my son Elahi turned nine. And my friend Jennifer's daughter Aviel turned six as well, just like my Iman. And Iman and Avi were very similar, um, sometimes in some pretty spooky ways, given that they did not live in the same state, they never met. Um, they both had brown curly hair and shiny eyes and loved making friends with people, even if they didn't speak the same language. Uh, they both, both loved animals, specifically cats and horses. Um, they were both Hermione Granger for Halloween that year. Um, they both loved to give hugs and they both loved people, um, and they both sang kind of the soundtrack to their lives, which was really fascinating because Iman would be, you know, walking around the house and I'd hear her sing, I'm going down the stairs with Purple Bear. And then I would look at her and she'd stop. And then, I, and then I'd look away and she'd keep going, and I'm going to the kitchen for a snack. And Avi's dad described her the exact same way. Um, and they were both super excited to go to kindergarten. Very, very excited about school, meeting their teachers, meeting their friends. And so they did, they went to school and made friends and had a really great time with their teachers. And on December 14th of that year, Avi got up in the morning and was very excited to go to school and waved goodbye to her parents and got on the bus and she never came home because she was murdered in her classroom with 19 other children and six of their educators. Avi went to Sandy Hook Elementary School. And at the time I was teaching at Ralston High School near Omaha and I was teaching children in a program called the Avenue Scholars Foundation. And to qualify for that program, these students had to be living in families that made less than $500 a month. 
They also had very low GPAs, 2.5 or below, um, not because they weren't smart, but because they had very difficult life circumstances. And like I said, I had a six and nine-year-old at home. I knew Avi's mother, and I couldn't help but think that it could have been my children in that school any day. And I got scared, and I got really, really, really shaken. I'm not a stranger to gun violence. Um, I've had guns held to my head. My grandfather was shot when I was 14, growing up in Kenya. Um, I had lost a friend at the Miller's South school shooting um, and at the, the mall shooting as well in Omaha. And I had lost students to gun violence as well, teaching high school, but I had never been afraid for my own children. I had never been afraid for small children. And I just couldn't shake it. I went to the Lauritzen Gardens with my children the next day, and the first snow of the year fell. And like I said, grew up in Kenya, not excited about snow, but my children were super excited. <laughs> so they were standing there with their hands, you know, trying to catch the snow, and I took a photo of them. And then I remembered Avi, and she was an only child, and I remembered her parents, and I thought, They'll never feel this joy ever again. And so I, I told the kids we're going home, and we went home, and I cried all the way home, and we sat on the couch, and I covered us in a blanket, and I said, nobody's going anywhere ever again. Amazon delivers everything, and we don't need to leave, and nobody needs to go to work, and what's money anyway? And my kids were very surprised because I'm usually a very positive person, and they wanted to know what was wrong, and I had to tell my six- and nine-year-old about Sandy Hook and I had to tell them about what had happened to Avi and what had happened to her friends and to her teachers. And the children had a hard time wrapping their minds around this, just like we all did, and they said, why? Why would somebody kill children? Why would somebody hurt teachers who we know are the best people in the world? And knee-jerk reaction, like I do with my students at the high school, if I don't know the answer, I just kick it back, and I said, I don't know, why do you think somebody would do that? And my son said, you know, Mom, and he's given me permission to tell you all he's a nerd, okay? He's got glasses, an inhaler for his asthma. He loves Stephen Hawking. Like, that's just who he is. He's very proud of this. Um, so he said, Mom, people make fun of me at school for being a nerd or because of my asthma or because my name is different. And when, they, when they're mean to me like that, I get this icky feeling inside me, and I want to be mean back. And I'm sure a lot of you have felt that way before. And he said, maybe the shooter had those icky feelings. Maybe people were mean to him all the time. And maybe that's why he did what he did, you know? And I said, well, you're in third grade. You've never been in trouble at school, so you were never mean back. How does, how does that make any sense? And he said, because at the last minute, someone's nice to me. And then that icky feeling goes away enough. He didn't say it goes away completely. He said, it goes away enough that I don't feel like being mean anymore. It kind of takes the edge off. And his sister was listening to everything he said, which now they're 13 and 16. She doesn't as much anymore. <laughs> but at the time, she was hanging on his every word. And she said, Mom, what if people had been kind to the shooter every day of his life? From the minute he was born, every day after that, what if they'd been kind to him? Maybe his icky feelings would have gone away, and he wouldn't have done what he did. So another disclaimer, I'm obsessed with serial killers. I've read everything there is to read about them. I know all, this, I know all the questions to ask you all when I meet you, like, you know. <laughs> are you a serial killer? And I don't think that you can smile at a serial killer and be nice to them and they're going to stop killing serially. I'm not that silly. And it was a really naive idea from a six-year-old, but at this point, it was winter break, and I love my students. I'm a teacher. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't a teacher. And I knew my students needed me in January, and I had to be able to leave my house and go back to them, and I had to be able to send my own children to school. And so I was trying to find some control, some sort of power to take back. And so I was self-medicating on Pinterest, as I do when I'm sad. And I found a photo of an envelope, and it said top secret on it. And it was talking about kindness. And 
I thought, I can't change what happened at Sandy Hook. I can't change what's happening in Syria. I can't change what's even happening across town. But I have my sphere of influence, right? My school where I was teaching. Maybe I can't stop a serial killer, but what if I could stop small acts of violence and bullying you know, that are happening in my school with my students? And so I went to my, my juniors you know, in January, and we'd already talked a lot about bullying. We talked a little bit about Sandy Hook because they knew that I knew Jennifer. And I said, listen, I have this great idea. I checked with my friends on Facebook. They all think I'm a genius, so I'm sure you will too. Um, so I'm gonna have this envelope with random acts of kindness in it. And if you want to, you can draw an assignment. You could go do it and I'll give you a reward. And then I waited for like the applause and then nothing happened. And they were like, we need to confer because I had taught them to confer. So they conferred and they came back and they said, so your idea has potential. We think there's something there, but you know, we've got a couple suggestions to fix it. I said, okay, what you got? Because otherwise Amazon delivers everything, I'm not coming back. <laughs> and so they said, and this blew my mind, this is something, the biggest lesson I've ever been taught by children, and I've been taught many lessons by children. These are children, like I said, are going home to empty fridges, they don't have much in the world. But they said to me, first of all, it's not really kindness if we expect a reward. So we don't want a prize. That's not true kindness. So no thank you, no reward, we're gonna do this anonymously. I said, okay. And they said, secondly, you gotta do this too because remember your class motto of all of us or none of us. So I have to explain that a little bit. When I was in teacher school back 22 years ago in Minnesota, we had a guest speaker and it was Arun Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi's son. And he said that, he told us a story of his grandfather speaking with um, a, a family who had a little boy who was diabetic and this little boy would not stop eating candy. He was just hoarding all the sugar and he would get very sick and nothing they did would make this kid stop eating sugar. So Gandhi said, let me talk to him for a little bit and he did and the kid came out and said, that's it, not eating sugar anymore. And the family asked him, what did you say to our son? And he said, well, I told him I would also stop eating sugar and be in solidarity with him. And that taught me a big lesson about teaching and it's always been my philosophy since then in teaching, which is that I never ask my students to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. So if I ask them to write a poem, I'm gonna write a poem. If I ask them to clean up the classroom, I'm gonna clean up the classroom. So my students, of course, listening to what I said, said, listen, you gotta do this too, all of us or none of us, so you're in it too. So I said, okay, we can do that. So then we had the dilemma of how do we do acts of kindness and remain anonymous? You know, if you're gonna write a note to somebody, you have to sign it. And they said, well, we're gonna have agent names. So we all named ourselves. We got agent names, secret kindness agent names. Um, and I allowed them to name me, but they already had a name picked out because it was something they were already calling me. So years before I taught at Ralston High School, I've been teaching at Omaha South High School and the students started to call me mom by mistake. Have any of you ever done that before? <laughs> and some of them called me mom on purpose. Maybe you've done that before. And then after a couple years, they started calling me the beast. And I was very offended. I was like, that's not a nice thing to call somebody. And they said, no, miss, it means you're beastie. It means you're in beast mode. It means you're good at what you do. And I said, I don't believe y'all. And they said, go look it up on the internet. Go on something called the Urban Dictionary which I went on the Urban Dictionary, and you can't scrub your eyeballs clean enough after you've seen some things, but it's true. So I was like, okay, you can call me the beast. So they put those two things together. So I am secret kindness agent, Mama Beast. And the students each got agent names. There was an agent Biggie, agent Smalls, you know, all agent Cheesy, agent Scrappy-Doo, it was all different names. 
And then we had to figure out what our acts of kindness were going to be. So we sat in a big circle and the students said, we're just gonna brainstorm, but we're gonna have two rules for our acts of kindness. The first one, and this is something I hadn't thought about as well. They said, the acts of kindness can't cost any money because none of us have any. But what I hadn't thought about was, acts of kindness is just coming from your own humanity, right? Acts of smiling at people or holding the door open or sharing somebody's burden or just listening. Um, and so that was really cool to hear from them because whenever I talk to adults about kindness, it's always, oh, you know, I donated to this charity, I fundraised for this person, I paid for coffee in the Starbucks line, you know, for somebody behind me. And we don't hear of people saying, I smiled at everybody I saw today, right? And so then the second rule was that we were going to do our acts of kindness within the school community, just the school building and just outside because we were feeling very overwhelmed by the world. And so we were just gonna concentrate on that. So we thought of as many things as we could that fit our two rules. And then we had to have a ceremony because I'm just a cheesy dramatic teacher. And so how it went was I would play a song about kindness like Lean On Me, Stand By Me, You've Got a Friend, you know, all those songs. And the students were like, that's too old school. We need some Bruno Mars and some Christina Aguilera. And I said, bring the songs. I shall preview them because you're high schoolers. And then I will play the song. And so I would play the song and we would all very seriously walk up to the front of the room where there was a table with envelopes and each one had one of our acts of kindness in it. And we drew an envelope for our mission for the week. And then we recited an oath we had written based on the Green Lantern rhyme scheme. And we all had our own hand movement doing this. And then we recited the set of risks we were taking by doing the project. And the risks were, my face might hurt from smiling too much. And that one came true because one of our, the assignments was you had to smile at everybody you saw every day for the whole week. Even if it was awkward and they didn't smile back, you still had to do it. And so I'm gonna teach you the massage that we created, okay? So if you just put your fingers out straight, you start at the top of your cheekbones and you gently jab going down and it's okay if you jiggle. Some of us will jiggle more than others. And you go back up again and you just do that till you feel better. Next time you're at a wedding, just, you know, people think you're weird, it's fine. Just say it's okay, Mama Beast taught me this. They'll think you're nuts. So my face might hurt from smiling too much. I might become a happier person. I will not get thanked. People might think I'm a nice person, which is a risk in high school, you know. So we did our whole ceremony, and then we went and did our acts of kindness, and then I added a short journal the second week because I know as a teacher that we internalize things when we reflect on them. And I wanted the students and myself to really figure out how this made us feel. So the journal was just quickly writing down what the mission was, what we did, and then how we felt before it happened and how we felt after it happened. And after a few weeks, we went back through our journals and we noticed that we always, always felt better afterwards. And so the students got addicted to the project because they figured out that endorphins are a thing and, and you know, dopamine is a thing and it happens after we do kindness. And they developed what I call their signature moves. And so each student had a move, an act of kindness that they just thoroughly enjoyed and would keep doing no matter what, even if it wasn't in the envelope. They did other random things. I had one student, a, a young man, Agent Scrappy-Doo. I called him Scrappy-Doo because he was trying to grow a beard, but there were only four hairs. And they would <laughs> wave at me and I was distracted. I'm like, shave him off, Lance. He's like, what if they don't grow back? Is that a promise? Thank you. He's got a nice full beard now. Uh, but he would mow people's lawns at night in six inch platform heels and a feather boa. And I was like, you could die in so many ways, Lance. Like, 
try a wedge, maybe, you know, and like your Hot Topic gloves instead of the boa because you could get strangled and also do this in the daytime with permission because you could get killed. I said, okay. Um, you know, picking up litter and tying people's shoes at the bowling alley who couldn't do it themselves, like all kinds of things. And they also started bringing in news stories and videos about kindness to the classroom for our brain breaks and to practice our nonfiction reading. And then they said, Mama Beast, we're being real extra about kindness, and you're not, so all of us or none of us go on the internet and find something extra. And so I did. And I found the story of the two wolves on the First Nations website. It's a Cherokee legend. How many of you have heard of that one? So the story of the two wolves only takes about 30 seconds to tell, but it changed the way we thought about ourselves and the way we thought about other people. And so the story goes that there's a grandfather speaking with his grandson, and he says, I have two wolves that are always fighting inside me. There's a good wolf who's full of kindness and generosity and happiness and love and joy, and there's a bad wolf who's full of anger and jealousy and resentment and spite and hatred, and they're just always fighting each other. And the grandson asks the grandfather, which wolf wins the battle? And the grandfather says, it's the one that I feed, right? It's the one that I feed. And so I told the story to my six and nine-year-old, and I told the story to my high schoolers, and I asked them, what's the food for the good wolf? And they said, well, it's when you're nice to somebody. If you're kind to somebody, you know, and you're, you're being very pleasant, then you're feeding the good wolf. And I said, well, if I'm nice to you, am I feeding your good wolf or mine? And they said, both. And they said, and when you're mean to somebody, you're feeding their bad wolf, and you're feeding your own as well, because you feel pretty terrible after that. You know, and so my son said, remember when we were talking about that icky feeling I get when people are mean to me? That icky feeling is my bad wolf getting stronger, right? And then when someone's nice to me, that icky feeling goes away a little bit, and that's because my good wolf is getting stronger and my bad wolf is getting weaker. And my daughter said, sometimes I go to sleep and I wake up and both my wolves are sleeping. <laughs> and I said, yes, sweetie, that's called apathy. What do you think you need to do? And she said, well, I think I need to do an act of kindness to wake my good wolf up before the bad wolf knows what's going on. <laughs> so I said, okay. She went to the kitchen. She made me cheesy scrambled eggs. She cleaned up after herself. She presented me with the eggs. And I said, how do you feel, sweetie? She goes, my good wolf, his eyes are shiny and his tail is bushy and his muscles are really strong. I said, oh, what about your bad wolf? She goes, I think he's dead. <laughs> I said, okay. But I can tell you, she's 13. Her bad wolf is definitely not dead. It's still there. But she knows. She goes back upstairs. She's like, I just got to go calm my bad wolf down for a minute. She comes back. She's like, the good wolf's back. We're good. We're good. So my students also were thinking about this. And when I told my students this story, I asked them a series of questions. I'm going to ask you the same questions. But you have to promise to be honest and brave like they were. Can you do that? OK. So raise your hand. If you have ever heard anybody say, oh, you really need to meet these people, they're really good people, or that's a good person, raise your hand if you've heard that before. Okay, we've all heard that. What about the opposite? Raise your hand if you've heard, oh, that's a bad person, those are bad people, we need to stay away from those people, they're bad people. Okay, we've all heard this. Raise your hand if you've ever been bullied by anybody, anyone's ever been mean to you. Siblings count. Okay. Now raise your hand, this is the honest, brave part. If you've ever been mean to anybody yourself, Siblings count, co-workers, all right, so everyone's done that too. So raise your hand if you're a 100% good person, you've never done anything wrong in your life. <laughs> there, are no, there are no good people in the room in this, in this church, there are no good people, okay. Raise your hand if you are, and you believe yourself truly, honestly to be, not that you have aspirations, but you really believe you are 100% evil. No? No serial killers in the room? 
So you see how that's a myth. We've all heard these are good people and those are bad people. And it's not true. There's no such thing as a good person or a bad person. You've all just proved that in this room because nobody raised their hand for both of those last two questions. And yet children hear this all the time and they internalize it. And we hear it and we internalize it. And when we do something bad, we think, does this mean I'm a bad person? Because I did this wonderful good thing, does this mean I'm a good person? What does that mean? And the truth is we all have both wolves inside us. And I would have students who were going through awful things at home and we know that when we're scared or angry or hurt or upset, we say and do things we regret. And when we're children or teenagers with our frontal lobes being marshmallow fluff, right, it gets worse. And so children would make all these bad decisions and they'd come to me and they'd say, what's the point, miss, I'm just a bad kid, right? But after this story, they wouldn't do that. Jesus came into my class after the story and he was going, and he was like, give me something to clean. And I was like, what is wrong with your face, Jesus? He goes, I'm smiling at you, okay? <laughs> I said, no, you're baring your teeth, child. You're feeding my bad wolf, so here's a mirror. What's going on? And he was one of those kids who would say, what's the point, I'm just a bad kid. But this time he said, my bad wolf's real strong right now, and I just need to do an act of kindness and wake the good one up, so please give me something to clean. I said, let's practice your smile first, okay? And so he understood that that was not what it was anymore. He was not a bad kid. He just needed to wake that good wolf and feed it, right? And they also talked about other children differently. Instead of saying, oh, so-and-so is so mean and so blah, 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 and they would say things from Urban Dictionary that I cannot repeat anywhere in a church. Um, but instead, they would say, Maria's really mean to people all the time. I wonder who's hurting her at home. We should feed her a good wolf at lunchtime and see if it helps every day, right? So they weren't giving up on other people either. And they taught me that everyone can be a hero. They taught me that hope lies in the smallest places, right? They taught me that kindness doesn't expect a thank you note. It doesn't expect a reward. It doesn't expect a card. It doesn't expect accolades. It just happens in quiet spaces. I told you that Avi was an only child. And after she was killed, her parents had another baby, a surprise baby. And that baby's name is Imogen Joy. And I just think that her very presence reminds us what the secret kindness agents taught me because I was in a dark place when it started. And by the time it ended, I was imagining joy and not pain and not darkness anymore. So when you're in those spaces, when you're feeling dark, when you're feeling sad and hopeless, do what Mr. Rogers said and look for the helpers. But most of all, feed your good wolf. Thank you. Thank you.